My name is J.W. Oker. I'm an author, and I like to go out and look for weird stuff. I call it oddity. For more than a decade, I've sought out oddities of nature, oddities of art, oddities of culture and history. I believe that within a tank or two of gas, of any point in this country, is some seriously cool oddity, and that we all should go check it out. This is Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. For this episode, we are going to be talking about torture museums. Torture museums have always been on my radar. There's more than a few. I can't say they are very common, but they're out there. But I always thought that torture museums were something I should have seen. If I'm looking for oddity, if I'm looking for macabre stuff, then I needed to add torture museums to my slate. But I didn't get to one for years. I just didn't find one, come across one. But then two years ago, I visited my first And then last year, I visited my second. And they couldn't have been two more different experiences. I've never written about this on Otis. I've never posted my photos on my website. So this is going to be the first time I've tried to communicate the experience and my feelings and my ideas around this topic, this topic of torture museums. Now, before I do, before we go to these torture museums together here, uh, I do need to clarify something about torture, instruments of torture in general, usually these museums focus on the medieval period, the Middle Ages. That's when torture had its glory days. That's when it was most used. That's what we really associate torture with is the medieval time period. We, you know, we think of castles with basements full of mechanical contraptions with spikes and metal masks and all kinds of insidious ways to inflict suffering on the human body. But the truth is, most medieval torture apparatuses are BS. They don't really exist in the way that we kind of imagine them to exist. Uh, A lot of them are made up. They were not ever used in medieval times to torture people. A good example of that is probably the Iron Maiden. We don't really have any record of the Iron Maiden being used or any real artifact. The myth of it is that it came from Nuremberg, uh, Germany. But really, we don't have a record of that at all. It's just, you know, something that somebody came up with at some point. uh, And that's kind of how we have the Iron Maiden. Another good one is the Pair of Anguish. (laughs) Do you guys know about the Pair of Anguish? It's not as popular a torture (laughs) instrument as the Iron Maiden. But what it is, it's a pear-shaped hollow piece of metal with a crank at one end, at the small end of the pear, I believe. And when the crank is turned, the... Pear itself kind of opens into slices and keeps opening and opening. And the idea is you insert the pair of anguish into a human orifice, and then you turn that crank, and as it opens, it spreads that orifice and inflicts pain and damage on the human being. And we have some examples of the pair of anguish sitting in museums, but the truth about them is we don't know what they were used for. We don't have any record that they were used for that purpose. And in fact, the, the artifacts that we do have aren't really that strong. You turn the crank, they, they wouldn't force anybody's orifice open, sad to say, I guess. Um, and they could have been anything. I, one of the jokes going around is that they could have been a shoe stretcher. They just weren't used for what they were, what we think they were used for. And that's kind of a commentary on our own sick imaginations. But anyway, so the, a lot of them are fake. Uh, a lot of them were invented just to titillate audiences later on. Um, some of them aren't medieval. Some of them, have, we have a record of them going back to much older times. The... Bronze bull, that's one of them. That goes back to like Greece. It's the idea of that one was it's a statue of a bull that's hollow 
and you stuff somebody in there and you burn them to death. And I think the idea was their screams or some mechanism in the bronze bowl that their screams get turned into moos. But again, what we know about the bronze bull is very little. There's no record of it ever, ever having been used. There's no artifact left over for us to look at. I think there's like one image of it being used. So we don't know if this idea was satire. We don't know if this was literally a torture device. And there are a lot of these stories like that. A lot of, lot of instruments of torture just weren't ever used. And you can kind of see that, right? You don't need elaborate mechanisms to torture people. You just need a piece of rope. It's really easy to torture people. We are frail, scared beings. You don't need much to elicit a confession or to make us cry out in pain. So you don't need, you know, engineering skills and metallurgy knowledge to create something to inflict pain. Again, you just need a piece of rope, really, or your fist. So the idea behind medieval torture devices is BS, but the metaphor of them, this man's inhumanity to man is completely legit. And the idea of them is really kind of interesting. These are out of somebody's imagination. Even if it wasn't out of a torturer's imagination, these are out of people's imaginations. What can we do to the human body <laughs> using something really complicated? Okay, so now that I've taken all the coolness out of a torture museum, let's go visit a couple. The first torture museum I visited was in Wisconsin at the Wisconsin Dells. Now, if you don't know the Dells, the Dells is basically a vacation land. It is one of those places with a million water parks and fudge shops and t-shirt shops and cheesy museums. And we were there for all kinds of reasons. Actually, there's a lot of cool stuff to see there. But uh, we were passing through on a road trip that we were doing around the entire Great Lakes, all the Great Lakes. And we stopped there because we'd heard so much about it. And it was really cool. Way we're stopping. But it was, you know, a cheesy vacation land. And they happened to have a torture museum. So I should also give an aside here because also just down the road from this torture museum, it's on Broadway, which is the main strip through uh, the Dells. But just a few doors down is the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. And that's how you know it's a cheesy vacation land because there's always a Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum uh, in a cheesy vacation land. Not to say those museums aren't cool. They are cool. But they're always around where they can get tourists. And in this one, at the Ripley's Believe It or Not at the Wisconsin Dells, they have the severed head of the Dusseldorf Vampire. Peter Curtin, the serial killer from the 19th century. Literally his severed head split open, hanging on a hook and rotating as one of their exhibits. And this is for real. This isn't like, you know, some mythical torture device. This is his actual head and it's right there for you and your family to see while you're, you know, doing water parks and eating fudge. Highly recommend that you go see that while you're in the Dells. And we did see that. But then we went to the torture museum. And I say we, it was just me and my eight-year-old daughter for some reason wanted to go. I don't know why. Um, I also don't know why I took her, but I did. I took her to the torture museum. And when we got there, you could see the tone of it from the foyer. There was a lot of Halloween decorations, a lot of skeletons, whips for sale. There was, you know, one of those shocking chairs. You sit in there and you try to hold on. It's supposed to shock you. So it was very lighthearted from the start. So we knew what we were kind of getting into. We paid our admission fee. It was like eight bucks. It was really small. It's like two rooms with uh, industrial carpet and fluorescent lights and wood paneled walls. So it was not the most atmospheric. Uh, I should also say I'm calling it the Torture Museum, which it also calls itself like on the door in carnival font. It says Torture Museum. I think the actual name of this is the Museum of Historic Torture Devices. I should also say in that foyer, though, was something that was pretty cool. It was a set of cemetery gates, large set of cemetery gates, like an arch that said cemetery with a cross on it. It seemed kind of generic, but then there was a placard that if you read the placard, it said that these cemetery gates were actually a movie prop 
from Paramount, from Paramount Studios, and that they'd been used in lots of different horror movies from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. It didn't name which ones, but then I thought that idea was pretty cool. Uh, you get to walk under this prop in order to get to these torture devices. So inside were kind of the typical stuff. There was the rack. There was an Iron Maiden. Their Iron Maiden didn't look like the typical one, which is like a sarcophagus, right, with spikes all inside of it. This one looked like it was from a heavy metal concert. There was a horn skull on top of it, and there was like only a few spikes, and it was open like a go-go dancer's cage. It was, man, that's an analogy I pulled out of nowhere, a go-go dancer's cage. But anyway, so there was typical stuff, stuff that wasn't even torture devices. There was a bed of nails, right, which isn't really a torture devices. There were cages. There were thumb screws, which I think thumb screws are actually real. Again, I don't know. I'm not a. I'm not an expert in medieval artifacts, but I think the thumb screws are real. Whether they're medieval or not, I have no idea. There wasn't a ton of artifacts. I got to be honest. So it was very open. A lot of pictures, a lot of placards with whatever 40 words explaining what we were looking at. Some weapons, swords. Some of the more interesting ones that I saw, oh, <laughs> two really obviously homemade guillotines because those are easy to make. Some of the stuff that stood out to me, though, was the burning at the stake exhibit, right? So this was, you know, real wood, a real stake, and then tied to it was like a fashion mannequin. Short hair, blonde, makeup eyes, lipstick. She was, it was obviously pulled out of some Macy's dumpster and then tied to the stake for the rest of its life. So there was there was that kind of stuff. Again, it was very kind of a cheesy atmosphere. I think I'm probably getting that across to you. There were chairs with nails, beds with nails, lots of nails going around, executioner masks. Probably the weirdest thing in this entire place was what what they called an alien implant. So we know about those from the X-Files, right? Those little metal things that aliens stick in their victims, like tagging cattle, so they can always kind of track and get data in real time <laughs> from their victims. But so this one said, uh, had a big kind of like headline, tortured by aliens. And then there was a newspaper clipping about a implant that had been removed from a victim. And they had this implant in a tiny little jar full of murky liquid. And it looked like a, a spinning top. It was large. It was pretty large. It wasn't like a little microchip implant. It was a huge piece of industrial metal, uh, probably about inch and a half tall. Uh, like I said, pointed at the bottom like a top. Uh, but it had a spiral of metal around it. Not what I expected to see in a torture museum, but that is, makes a lot of sense. They pro the person probably doesn't have a ton of torture devices that they collect. They probably have a lot of macabre stuff, and they just threw that one in there. I'm glad they did. I liked it. It's my favorite thing, I think, in the whole museum. There's also a wall, and this was kind of where I had to shield my eight-year-old. So up to this point, my eight-year-old was fine with it. I mean, there wasn't really grisly stuff. It was, like again, obvious mannequins and these weird-looking furniture stuff. Nothing too grisly or nothing more grisly than when I show her on an average day at home. But one wall did have John Wayne Gacy pictures, just covering the entire wall in frames, pictures of crime scenes, pictures of his victims. A couple of them had black veils over them, so you had to actively lift them up and see. So I, I kind of pushed her away from that part of the, of the exhibit, but the rest of it was, you know, child-friendly, more or less. My child-friendly, I should say. So that was it. We probably spent 15 minutes in there, 20 minutes. I didn't read a lot of the placards. I don't read placards in general. I always kind of take photos of them and either read them later or just research the topic on my own online. But we kind of wandered around and, you know, I got to check Torture Museum off of my uh, list of stuff that I wanted to see. And it didn't really surprise me. I think this, this was my expectation of a torture museum. I kind of thought of it as a tourist trap, as not real believable. But then last year, I found myself in St. Augustine, Florida for what I'm going to call an amazing torture museum. 
So this one is right in downtown St. Augustine. It's called the Medieval Torture Museum. That's its official name. And I didn't take my eight-year-old with me. She's like nine at this time, I guess. She wanted to go, but part of me was still uncertain of whether I should be showing her torture museums or not, even though the last one was pretty tame. This one I wasn't so sure of. And I'd seen a few photos that did seem kind of intense uh, for the St. Augustine Torture Museum. So I decided to not take her. And I kind of wish I had. It was really cool. Definitely way more intense than the one in the Wisconsin Dells, but for a kind of a different reason. So I go across the city. It's dark through the crowds. Uh, it's upstairs. So I go up this sta- set of stairs. And that set of stairs drops me into what basically was a goth gift shop. So lots of black clothes and silver jewelry. There's a guy behind the counter. I told him I was there to see the torture museum. He's like, right back there. Took my money. And I went inside. Uh, nobody else was there. Uh, same as the Wisconsin Dells Museum. There's nobody in there when me and my daughter were in there. But from step one, it was obvious this was a different experience. It was super atmospheric, dark, lit well. The exhibits had custom figures on them. I don't know what they're made of, wax and resin or uh, whatever kind of plastic they use these days. They don't really make metal wax so much anymore. All of them custom to whatever torture device they were being tortured on. So these were pretty livid. I mean, their faces were contorted. They had lacerations on them. There were executioners and hoods and torturers and hoods. It was less like a torture museum and more like a haunted house or more like one of those kind of spooky wax museums. And it was fantastic. The quality of these exhibits was pretty high. You could tell whoever owned this really kind of invested in them and really liked torture. No, really, really liked um, to create an atmosphere. And, and some of them were even interactive. I brought up the bronze bull at the beginning of this. They had one. And they let you grab a rope and pull it. And the, bron- the side of the bronze bull opened and you could see somebody being burned alive in there. So in every way, a much better torture museum than the one at the Wisconsin Dells. They even had their own mascot. It was like a guy in typical medieval executioner outfit, but dressed in red instead of like the black you think of. So much more ownable as a mascot, I guess. Throughout this place, there were uh, drawings on the walls. It looked like they were, you know, drawn in old parchment to kind of further the effect. Illustrations on how these instruments were used, whether it was a scold, one of those metal masks that kind of shuts on your face, which also I don't think ever really existed. Different kind of weapons for gouging out eyes and pulling teeth and ripping tongues and tearing off ears. This one had a lot more stuff than the Wisconsin Dells one did. There were scaffolds, a gallows, I should say with bodies hanging off them with hoods on their on their heads. There were, you know, the usual guillotines, the rack, you know, the one that Gomez Adams always likes to get his back cracked on. Just like um, the Wisconsin Dells Museum, they wanted to bring up the witch trials. And there was like a green-skinned witch and a broom in front of a wall full of skeletons. So again, it felt a little bit like a haunted house. And I was expecting things to jump out and move. And I, now that I think of it, I think the person who sold me the ticket told me that nothing moves, nothing jumps out at you. They're all static exhibits, except for the ones you can interact with. They even had a pendulum from, you know, Poe's Pit and the Pendulum, a bed that the body would lay on, and this blade, this, you know, this scimitar-like blade on a big pole that kind of just swung back and forth. That was another interactive exhibit where you got to actually like kind of pull, I can't remember how it worked, pull the rope and make the swing go back and forth. Pretty cool. There were dunking tanks and wooden horses. Those cages that they'd put, probably in myth, would put on victims, fill them with rats and let the rats kind of just eat their way out through the body of the person. And keep in mind, when I say this, I'm not just, I'm not just talking about just static devices just kind of sitting there. Each one of these things had a victim on it that was 
open-eyed and open-mouthed with terror. Really, really high-quality work. They had people stretched on tables and being whipped and just kind of lacerations across their back. There were people getting their mouths cut open. This sounds really grisly. And I think in hindsight it is. And when I look at the photos, it is, which obviously I'll link to in the show notes. But it didn't feel, again, any worse than a haunted house, really. And these were, even though these were lifelike, there was just something kind of impressive about the care that was put into all of these exhibits. Not in like a, oh my gosh, the person owns this a serial killer kind of way. Just in this guy really wants to put on you know, really create an effect and emotion in his or her visitors. So really impressive, really impressive stuff. I remember one of them that really sticks out in my head. It's a person and their their face is kind of drawn level with this small block. And their tongue is pulled out on this block with a large, like, I don't know, nine inch long nail driven right through their tongue. So just really gets it across much more than if it had just been a, a nail in a wooden block and then like a medieval style drawing of it on the wall. What else did they have? They they had an uh, entire wall <laughs> full of stuff that they could do to your genitals. Just metal underwear, basically, uh, that, you know, whatever. All kinds of weird stuff could be done to a human body. We have a lot of very sensitive places. There was a wheel, you know, which I think was a real thing. It wasn't a torture device. I think it was actually an execution item where it looks like a giant wagon wheel and the person is tied, splayed out on the wheel until whatever, they die. So they had one of those. Just a lot of stuff. So in hindsight, I totally would have brought uh, my oldest. Totally would have brought her there. It had been almost like a Halloween outing, really. Torture is, is really insidious and really grisly. Uh, it's, it almost falls on the true crime side of the spectrum as far as how we kind of look at it and think about it. But this really pushed it over to the almost the Halloween side of the macabre. So even though it was a hot summer St. Augustine night when I visited, it was a, a blast of fall for me. So really cool. I highly recommend going to this one. The other one uh, in Wisconsin Dells, not so much. I mean, do it while you're there. I mean, you're looking for stuff to do. Go ahead and do it. But it was, I couldn't believe how different these two torture museums were. And again, Wisconsin Dells probably fit my stereotype in my head of what I thought um, a torture museum was. While the one in St. Augustine you know, more blew my mind <laughs> how cool it was. It was just a house of horrors. Really, you know, that's kind of uh, what I'm looking for. But there you go. Those were the two torture museums I've been to. If I see a third one, I probably would go into it. Now I'm kind of curious what the range of torture museums are as far as how many different kinds there can be or how many different atmospheres there can be. But I assume it's going to be really repetitive. There's only so many quote-unquote medieval torture instruments. So there you go. I hope, I hope your big takeaway was to go visit, you know, either one of these torture museums in Wisconsin Dells or in St. Augustine. But maybe a bigger takeaway was to realize how much of it is actually not true at all, or at least the way we think of it. And that's it. That's what I got for torture museums. Feels like I should have more, right? Feels like I should have deep philosophical struggles with the concept of a torture museum, but I don't. I mean, we know how awful people are to each other. So putting it in these extremes with these, again, these really elaborate devices that can inflict pain, they, they're good metaphors. They're good metaphors for how just bad we treat each other or can treat each other. So that's it. That's this 
episode of Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. Um, this is the part where I tell you what's going on in my world. I just released, or just unveiled, the cover for my next book, which comes out in September, Cursed Objects. Um, that's a, you know, kind of a return to nonfiction for me after my past two books have been fiction. Hope you guys are interested in that. It's beautifully illustrated. This, this design on this book, from the cover to the illustrations inside, is an object of art. So my first illustrated book, hope you guys pick it up. Check it out. Um, you can pre-order it today. I'm still pushing 12 Nights at Rotter House. Uh, that thing's only a few months old, honestly. It feels weird shifting over to a book so f- to another book so fast, but that guy's still out there. Uh, visit my site, oddthingsivescene.com. I will be posting pictures, lots of pictures of both torture museums, so you can compare them yourselves. And I think if once you see the pictures, they will match up to exactly how I've described them and make a lot more sense. Um, what else going on? If you get the hankering, rate and review over on iTunes, this podcast, and I will see you... Uh, Patreon. I have a Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash jwoker. You go there, you'll get a lot more cool stuff from me. In fact, I'll probably put bonus photos from these two museums because I just have a ton into the newsletter that goes out every week for the people who are Patreons. And that's it. That's what I have for you until the next episode. This has been Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. The podcast.